welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. So today we celebrate the birth of the church. The first church began at 9 o'clock in the morning, 2,000-ish years ago, 50 days after Passover, on a day called Pentecost. Pentecost in Greek is translated to 50th. It means 50th, 50 days after Passover. And it was a festival that the Jewish community celebrated where they combined two significant events. The Festival of Weeks, which um, was a celebration of the first fruits of harvest, where you'd bring the first fruits of your spring harvest, and the renewal of covenant. It was a celebration at the time of Jesus uh, where the people of God would come together to remember the law coming to Moses and Israel down the mountain of Mount Sinai. It was a significant moment. This was a significant moment on the Jewish calendar, but it was a significant moment for the 120 or so followers of Jesus that gathered in an ordinary room as they prayed and waited based off of what Jesus said. And we pick up this story in Acts chapter two, verse one, the day of Pentecost. It says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to one another in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hear them in our native tongue? And it lists all the different places that you're hearing the words of God being spoken. And it says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine to drink. The church is born. The church is born outside of the temple. The church is born in a common place in an upper room. Men and women are filled with the presence of God. Tongues of fire rests on the church. And the, the fire is uh, imagery of the Old Testament. When fire came down the mountain, symbolizing the presence of God in the Old Testament. The Spirit fills the church, and it's a phenomenon. It's a, it's a sign and wonder. The effects are experienced. There's declarations of God's wonders in every language. This is a dramatic moment where people will gather in bewilderment. They're gathering in confusion. They're gathering amazed and asking questions while others are making assumptions and making fun of what's happening. They're just getting drunk off of wine. But what we know is the church is born. When God's presence comes, there will be different experiences for everyone. Everyone experiences God's presence differently. And in this occasion, for some, for most, the church is caught up into worship. 
They experience the presence of God. They're baptized with the presence of the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues. They speak in known languages and the the language and the words that are being spoken are praises being praised to God. The Spirit of God comes down on the church and the church worships and praises God. Wind, fire, tongues of fire. It was an experience. I think Luke is having to come up with language to describe this sign and wonder, this moment for the church to be birthed. Simon Ponsonby says, when the Bible speaks of being filled with the Holy Spirit, it is saying that one is consumed, taken over, impregnated, saturated, complete, and replete with God's presence and power. To be filled with the Holy Spirit leaves no room to be filled with anything else. The church, the 120 or so gathered, are filled with the presence of God. And there is an overflowing encounter and experience where innocent bystanders stand on the outside wondering what's happening to this group of people. What's happening in this moment? They, um, some are amazed. Some are perplexed, wondering what's going on. Others stand at a distance, dismissing the fulfillment of God's great promises in this moment, 2,000 plus years ago, on Uh, The day of Pentecost, the birth of the church, God begins to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. Like in Joel chapter two, which Peter will talk about later on, where he says the spirit of God is being poured out on all people. Everyone will prophesy. Or Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my degrees, decrees. Excuse me. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Verse 33 says, I will put my law in their hearts and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God begins to fulfill his promises to the people. You see, Pentecost is this great epic moment in history, where God dwells in his people, where God's presence again rests with his people, where he moves closer and closer to humanity, and now his presence is with his church. And in this moment, people are given new hearts. They're given a new spirit. They're given uh, possibility and potential and purpose. They're given uh, a new covenant. And remember, Pentecost in the Jewish tradition was the day you celebrated the old covenant coming, the the law coming to the people of God. And now on a day that symbolizes the old covenant, a new covenant is being birthed that Jesus foretold that he promised was coming through the cross and resurrection and now after his ascension through the coming of his Holy Spirit. You see, God's promises are fulfilled in the coming of his presence. But his promises are connected to his purposes. You see, his promises are connected to his dreams, God's dreams for creation. And we must remember this as the church. We must recognize that when the spirit comes, God's presence comes to do something in us, to transform us, but also to empower us to bring about transformation for his purposes. In Acts chapter one, Jesus before he ascends into heaven, leaves 
his followers with his final words, according to the, the author, Luke. In verse four of chapter one, he says, uh, Luke writes, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They then gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you, going to, uh, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus proclaims his presence will bring power to his people for the sake of God's purposes. Power will come to God's, with God's presence for the sake of God's purposes. Power will come with God's presence for the sake of God's purposes. In other words, the Spirit of God comes to give you not warm, warm fuzzies, not experiences in worship. The Spirit of God comes to give you power to transform your soul. Can I get an amen? The, the Spirit of God comes to give you power to bring transformation to your very being so that he can empower you to live out his purposes everywhere you go, to everyone you meet, every day you live. Are we preaching this Pentecost Sunday? Come on. This is why the church exists. It exists to continue the mission of Jesus everywhere you are, so that wherever you are, it will become like it is in heaven. Our prayer for you is wherever you are as it is in heaven. This is the mission of God. The mission of God is to bring healing to creation, to bring about restoration of all things, all things, not just souls being saved through evangelism and intimacy with Jesus, but all things being restored to the way they were intended to be, like in Genesis 1 and 2. You see, Genesis 3 comes along and fall. Sin enters into the story and all of creation falls because of our disobedience and rebellion against God's way in life. But since Genesis 3, God has been working to restore all of creation back to its original purpose. And we see the final vision of Revelation chapter 21 and 22 where heaven marries earth and everything is restored. God has been working to redeem, reconcile, and restore all things back to himself. This means that for every human alive, God desires intimate relationship for them. He desires to heal creation. He wants to comfort the brokenhearted. He wants to bring connection to those who are isolated and lonely. He wants community for them. He wants to heal us physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and relationally. Every dimension of our soul will be restored because of our relationship with Jesus. And the best thing about this news, this announcement, the best thing about this story is God invites his followers to be a part of it. He, he gives you his presence to empower you to do this 
with him, to dream with him, to build with him, and rebuild with him. And this is what Pentecost is all about. It's about the coming of God's spirit. It's about birthing this new movement that is the church. And the church is the fulfillment of God's promises. And I don't mean church like a a website, a church like a building, a church like uh, a brand or an Instagram social media account. I mean the people of God filled with the presence of God who are on mission to bring bring about God's dream on earth as it is in heaven. This is what today is about, about being church. As a church, we want to be spirit-filled, spirit-baptized, spirit-saturated, and overflowing with the presence of God. This must be something that we work for and fight for as the people of God. Because in many ways, the church today, the Christian church today, the communities of faith have built a community without the presence or power of God. It lacks power and presence. We've built communities that are filled with proficiency and programs. We're proficient at growth and strategy and business models. We offer a buffet of ministry experiences that are designed to keep the consumer-oriented parishioner happy and tithing. But brothers and sisters, this movement is designed to be powerful to go into the world, to the ends of the earth, bringing about God's way of life, God's dream for that place. Wherever you go, that's where God's presence goes with you. That we are to dream about what's possible because with God, all things are possible. We are to dream not about program-driven communities or purpose-driven communities, but presence-driven communities, presence-driven lives. This is the birth. This is the reason. This is the source of all things within the church. We are to be spirit-filled. How are we doing, church? Are we awake? Are you awake? Are you with me? So, the church is to be a, a community of believers who gather together in the name of the risen Lord Jesus Christ who are filled with God's presence. And when we are filled with his presence, we move out into the world, carrying and stewarding the presence of God wherever we go, joining God in his dreams and his, for his purposes on earth as it is in heaven. Acts chapter 2, which is later in this story, um, gives you a snapshot of of what it looks like, a picture of what community filled with the power and presence of God will, will look like on earth. And in some ways, it reveals to us the evidence of a spirit-filled community. And I I have some thoughts on this. I wanted to give you a couple of points about what it looks like for a community to be spirit-filled according to the scripture. So if you would, just go to the end of Acts chapter two and start in verse 42. I wanna give you some ideas of what a spirit-filled community looks like. First, there's a devotion to the way and the word of God. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So the very first church has this sense of devotion, this hunger for the way and word of God. They devote themselves to fellowship, to joining together in community, to breaking bread, and and, uh, what that represents is communion or the Lord's Supper, as well as um, 
uh, prayer with one another. They are devoted as the people of God. They are devoted to the way and word of God. The second evidence of a spirit-filled community is the demonstration of God's power. Verse 43 says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. What happens when a church is filled with the presence of God is the power of God is demonstrated in the church. So that means healing, prophecy, signs and wonders, um, salvation, evangelism, transformation, um, deliverance ministry. All of these things are part of the church, part of a biblical church, a church that takes seriously the call to be a spirit-filled community. When the spirit of God falls, when a spirit of God is is present in the church, power will be demonstrated within the church. So whether you're gathering in small groups, life groups, hubs, digital communities, or house churches, there there should be a demonstration of the power of God with the people of God. The third sign of a spirit-filled community is unity. Verse 44 says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. In the midst of this diverse community, Acts chapter two lists all the different languages spoken. We know that by chapter six, there's different cultures and different languages within the first church. We know that despite or in spite of the differences, there is a unity within the church that they, they are held, they hold things in common. They come together as, as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters, and they are bound together in unity. And perhaps, This is what we need more than ever at this time where the world is polarized. Uh, Culture and society is polarized. Perhaps the church can come together with difference in politics, but a unity and confession and allegiance to Christ as our king. The fourth evidence of a spirit-filled community, um, the fourth characteristic of a spirit-filled community is generosity. Verse 45 says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I love this, that the marker of a spirit-filled church is generosity, a generous church. By Acts chapter four, it says that God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them or among them that there were no needs among them. That the early church, filled with the presence of God, recognized something unique was going on and they chose to sacrifice and share the resources that they had with one another, ensuring that everyone that's part of this new family is cared for. The Spirit empowers generosity. I'll never forget the time that I was about to preach at the garden in our church, and um, I I had this number in my head, 1,500, and, and then I couldn't preach. I got up to preach, and I had to wait on the Lord. I had to say, let me just wait on the Lord and see what's going on. And I heard him say clearly in my heart, that there was a single mom who needed $1,500 for rent and she was gonna be evicted. So I said, hey, is there a single mom here that has an eviction notice that needs rent that's $1,500? And she, a woman begins to cry. She pulls out her eviction notice. There's a single mom who, new to our church who is about to be evicted, needed $1,500 for rent. And I was like, okay, what do we do? So we passed the bucket a second time. And as we passed it a second time, I just said, put as much cash in as possible. And there was exactly $1,500 given with change included for that single mom. And I thought to myself, is this not what the Holy Spirit comes to do? To ensure um, the cause of the widows 
are taken care of, that the vulnerable and poor are cared for by the community. We don't sell everything. We share with those in need. That's what it looks like, generosity. The fifth, um, if you're keeping track at home, the fifth characteristic or sign is that the church exists as a new family or a new community. Verse 46, it says that every day they continue to meet Together in temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That the evidence of a spirit-filled church is not just unity, but that the the community itself becomes a new family. That that there are new rhythms and practices um, that you once had for your family that that is related to you via blood. Now the church becomes that family where the spirit empowers you to see your, this community of faith as your brothers and sisters. The sixth is that the church has a, sees a priority in worship, a priority of worship, corporate worship and individual worship. Verse uh, 47 says, a, uh, they, they gather together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoy, enjoying the favor of all the people. So when the church comes together, they can't help but praise God for the grace they're experiencing. Perhaps now we need to see um, one of the roles we have as a church is to honor and glorify God like never before. That as we gather in homes, because we can't gather it publicly right now, we must learn to create worship centers in our apartments, worship centers in our homes with our families. We must be people of worship, that a spirit-filled life is marked by worship in the same way that a spirit-filled community is marked by worship. And the seventh characteristic that we see of a spirit-filled community, according to Acts chapter two, is that the church has a priority of evangelism. What it says at the end of this little snapshot of the church is that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That the church saw the addition. More and more people were coming to know Jesus as Lord and learning to walk out their faith with them. That the church is not designed to be just a holy huddle, but the church is designed to be a movement that includes the outsiders, that continually brings in new Christians, new followers, and makes disciples. The church, marked by the Spirit, sees a role, its role as evangelism, bringing people to faith. It sees its role as making disciples. What a beautiful image. What a beautiful image uh, that the church has, a picture of what's possible if we allow ourselves to get behind God's purposes in our life and in our church, in our community. So today, we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. The church was born on Pentecost Sunday, and we as followers must be born again, born into the kingdom. We must be again baptized, filled, immersed with the presence of God. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians chapter five, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the Greek, it's a continual present verb, uh, which better translates that statement to keep on being filled or be continually filled with the presence of God. And so today, I just wanna remind you that the church is to be a spirit-immersed community, a saturated community, a baptized community into the presence of God, into the reality of the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we uh, are to be presence 
filled, presence-driven communities? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you ever been baptized in the presence of God? Have you ever been turned upside down by the presence of God to the point where you just ask for more? Are you satisfied or do you want more of God's presence in your life? I want to ask you to invite the Holy Spirit to fill you wherever you are right now. Do you want more of God's presence in your life? Do you want more of his goodness, of his joy, of all the gifts he comes to give and all the fruit that he he wants to birth in you? Well, if you do, then it requires you humbling yourself and presenting yourself to him and asking him for more. God wants to give you more of his presence. He wants to give you more of his presence. He wants you to be filled with his presence so that you can be set free, that you can be liberated, that you can be transformed from the inside out so that springs of living water will flow through your soul as John talks about or Jesus talks about in the gospel of John. God wants to fill you. So present yourself to God. Say, present yourself to him and then ask God to give you more of the Holy Spirit. It says in Luke chapter 11, Verse nine, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How much more? And God knows how to give good gifts to his children. So ask, the, uh, uh, present yourself to God. Ask for God to fill you with his presence. Right now in your homes, as you're watching this, ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life. Let the Holy Spirit know he's welcome in your life. And then as the Holy Spirit makes himself known to you, um, obey the things that he comes to speak and ask you to do. One of the ways that you can grow is to obey the presence of God when he speaks to you. In Acts chapter 5, verse 32, it says, we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. God increases your capacity for him as you obey him in your life. You can also grow in faith by asking God to give you more faith and then just receive the Holy Spirit. I believe God wants to impart his presence upon you in ordinary common space. He wants to fill you with his presence and release his goodness into your life because you were designed for him. And he wants to dwell in you and with you. There's a story of a young lawyer named Charles Finney. He was the outstanding evangelist of the early 19th century, and he spoke of his experience of God by the Holy Spirit that catapulted him into ministry. As he sat in, uh, sat in an ordinary place on his office desk, the Holy Spirit descended on, on him. And he writes in his journal, with waves and waves of liquid love. He said that no words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. He says, I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. That's what Charles Finney says began his ministry. And whatever we call this encounter, I want it. I want it again. Whatever encounter he had, I pray that God does it again in you. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.